Lord God, we come before you now. We thank you for phrases in music like this that remind us that you are fighting our battles. In the midst of Ephesians 6, where we're instructed to put on the armor of God, we would maybe suppose that it's up to us. It is not. It is up to you, the Lion and the Lamb, the, the King of Kings, the one who fights on our behalf. And Lord, we just give you all praise and all glory for being our King, for being our Lord, for being our Savior. Lord, as we, as we focus on the helmet of salvation today, Lord, may we hold that salvation so dear. The Bible actually calls it the unspeakable gift. Words can't even put into expression how, how, how important this is. And so, Lord, we just uh, give you all praise for the great gift of salvation you bring. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If everybody would grab a... One of these little blue cards, it's a connection card, and so fill that out, especially if you're a first or second time attender. We would love to know who, uh, that you're worshiping with us today and how we can minister to you. Uh, you can either put that in the offering plate or you can take that to the connection center later. And of course, we have um, a prayer request card. Everybody's welcome to fill one of those out, and staff and pastors will be, uh, uh, it'll be our honor to pray for you. We do that every Tuesday morning. On a personal note, thank you uh, for all your prayers and all your support, all your outpouring of love uh, to our family in the passing of my mother. And, um, you know, I was just telling Pastor Philip, out of all the weeks that could have happened, here I am surrounded by scriptures that say, 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? I'm surrounded by uh, songs that remind us that he is risen and with him we will rise. And, uh, and mom, mom was a true believer. We know that for sure, and we'll see her again. And so thank you for your, your outpouring of love. Just thank you so very much.
cross. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. That living hope we shout.
Amen, amen. Let's bow for our offering. Lord God, we come to you and we just continue in this time of worship, this time of praise, because it is a time of giving. And Lord, in that giving, we pray that everything that we give today would just further the cause of you breaking chains, of you becoming the living hope for sinners around this world. And Lord, we pray that we are agents uh, that will bring change into those lives. We are the ones who will be the heralds of good news to bring that good news to a lost and dying world. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is sort of our theme song for the armor of God. The battle belongs to the Lord. Let's sing it together. Nothing to fear.
Well, good morning. Don't you love allergy seasons? So after I preached last Sunday morning outside and twice inside and twice this week at funerals, um, my voice is taxed. So I pray it's not a distraction to you. Uh, I'm getting better, thank the Lord. Uh, it was all I could do to sit on the front row and not sing like I usually do to the top of my lungs. But I knew if I did, I would start coughing. So I watched you sing, and I tell you, you made an A Amen. this morning. Just what a blessing to hear you lift your voices to the Lord. So, back in Ephesians for a few more weeks. Chapter 6, listen to verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and... As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And verse 17, take up or take the helmet of salvation. I listened this morning intently uh, to another lesson on AI. Y'all heard of this? Artificial intelligence. I want to remind you as you consider that, that humanity hasn't changed. And the evil one is still active and AI will not help you. I'm just telling you, we cannot replace the items of armor with contemporary items. Tanks won't cut, cut it in this battle. Drones will not work. And the Bible tells us clearly that there are certain parts of the body armor that are designed uh, for the intricate de details of the way God has fashioned you as a human being. And once you are saved and you're in Christ, these pieces are critical to your life and your walk with Christ in the midst of the warfare that we have. There is nothing mystical in just saying before a mirror every morning, I put on the helmet of salvation. To understand the helmet of salvation, you have to understand the biblical and theological significance of this critical piece of armor. We need to be careful not to fall into the same indictment that Jesus gave to his disciples on several occasions when he would say, don't you see? Don't you understand? Do not have a hardened heart. We need to understand the armor. The seat of the understanding, the heart, does not need to be hardened at this point when you consider what it means when we say the helmet of salvation or we consider this massive principle of salvation. We need to be opened 
to the truth of God's Word. And let God's Word fashion our thoughts. In other words, how can the belt of truth support and strengthen the core if you don't understand truth? How can we use the breastplate of righteousness unless we realize we were unrighteous, Christ was righteous, and he imputed his righteousness to us? No way the breastplate breastplate works unless we're considering that. How can we stand in the gospel of peace? How can we advance the gospel of peace if we don't understand the gospel? And how can we utilize the shield of faith if we don't really know who our faith is in? How can we thus take up the helmet of salvation if we don't understand salvation? We need to understand salvation. We need biblical insight into salvation. We cannot afford to have a minimal understanding or a lack of understanding or a misunderstanding when it comes to salvation. If the helmet is to fit on your head for your protection, then you must understand salvation. So, remember we're using this same division statement. Stand firm by employing the armor of God. And we've made it through four pieces. And now we're at number five. And we're at the helmet of salvation. So here is the point today. How do you stand? By taking up the helmet of salvation. Now we know the Romans had a helmet. And it was made of bronze. I was reading a commentary early this morning. They talked about how heavy this helmet would have been. And I'm not sure that all of us have the neck muscles today to hold it up. It would have been extremely heavy. It was designed to fit snugly on your head. It had straps of leather that were often smaller pieces. It had straps of leather that had smaller pieces of metal in the leather that came around the sides of the cheeks, fastened securely on the head. And the function is obvious. It's to protect your head. Now, here's what I've learned about Baptists. Some of you have harder heads than others. Right? And our wives are saying, we know who that is. We know who that is for sure. But here's the deal. No matter how hard your head is, you need protection. You're not going to make it without this helmet. And just as the breastplate of righteousness protects the vital spiritual organs, so the helmet protects, listen, the mind, the understanding. Now as you look at this text and think, Take up the helmet of salvation. And you begin to think about the head. And you begin to think about the mind. We, you should naturally ask yourself the question. What does the Bible say about what is contained in my head? The mind. The brain. So, if you study that concept of the mind, there are several New Testament Greek words that are used. There are Hebrew words that are used in consideration of the mind. I mean, how uh, do we explain mental faculties? Well, the Bible helps us in many places. Let's just take the word mind. It describes the physical and intellectual perception. It's the ability to arrive at moral insight, moral judgment. It can mean the attitude of the way that you are thinking. It can mean the sum of the mental and moral state of being. There are other words used in the Bible 
thinking, mindset, intelligence. They are uh, in concert with those. We're told in the Bible that we use our mind to reckon, to calculate, to count, to reflect upon, to consider, to look upon, to think, and then to have the power of reason. So I want to want you to think about those. Why? Because this helmet is on the head. It's there for the mind. So it's obvious that Paul is trying to help us think about the way that we think. And this is so important in this spiritual warfare. To know that it helps me to know that I'm in the right train of thought and thinking about the mind. Because Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this passage. The apostle is drawing attention to the head, to the mind, to the brain, to the understanding, to the thinking of a Christian. Now, folks, listen. I want to remind you this morning that if you're a born-again believer, this is critical. Your thinking is critical. Not just in the totality of Christian living, but specifically in this text... How it relates, your thinking relates to the warfare that we are engaged in. I learned Proverbs 23, 7 when I was growing up as a child in the King James Version. Old King Jimmy, right? And it is this, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The ESV says, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. So putting on the helmet of salvation is critical if we're to keep our head in the battle. Now Paul is going to use this term salvation, helmet of salvation. It's interesting. It's an adjective used here as a noun. And it is one, it is a place, it is a word that Paul never uses anywhere else other than here. So this is the same term that appears where? You guessed it, Isaiah chapter 57, excuse me, chapter 59. Same word used for the Lord's armor, how Christ came. Only place used in the New Testament, same word used in Isaiah 59, 17. Listen again to it. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. There's the word, salvation. Christ puts it on as a helmet. He's the warrior. He's the mighty one who comes with the helmet of salvation. This confirms Paul's usage of salvation in concert with Isaiah 59, 17. Same word used. It's crucial. It's a crucial observation. And he's helping us think about salvation in the present dimension. And he's given you this. Starting in Ephesians chapter 1, he's honoring God for the gift of salvation. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. But Paul will use that verb in the present tense twice in Ephesians 2, 5 through 8. Listen to a couple of those places. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? Verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved. Let this sink into your mind. He is, he's wanting you to think about this. He's stressing the deliverance from these very satanic powers that you are going against 
in warfare. This has been accomplished through a dynamic connection with you and the Lord Jesus Christ in which believers have an ongoing power to work at work in us against the enemy of our faith, against the principalities and powers. He gets this picture that he talks about, helmet of salvation, from our Messiah himself. Folks, this is God's armor. This is the armor of God. He wears it, and he gives it to us. And the picture in Isaiah 59 is our messianic warrior, king, and he puts on salvation like a helmet, not because he needs salvation, but because you need salvation. He puts on righteousness as a breastplate, not because he needs righteousness. He already is. He's coming to give you righteousness. So the warrior king is coming for us. He's coming to us to deliver us. Praise God for the teaching of the word. So to put on the helmet of salvation is in a real sense to put God himself on in the fullness of who Christ is for us. Over and over and over we read in the word of God, God is my salvation. He has accomplished salvation. He gives salvation through his son. But when we start to understand what Paul is saying in the entire panorama of the scripture, he is saying God in bringing salvation and in giving you salvation is giving himself to you. Hear this. God is giving himself to you. God is yours. He is, he is your possession. And don't miss this. We, we, we think so minimalistically about salvation to think, well, my sins are covered. Hallelujah, I'm not going to go to hell. Look, salvation is so much more. Yes, you've been forgiven of your sins. But listen, God in Christ has been given to you. That's what it means to have salvation. So, we have been joined to Christ in both his resurrection and his exaltation. Ephesians 2.6 what did Paul have to say about that? Chapter 1, early on, just listen to these verses. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. He put all things under his feet. He gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, you see that, right? Now, consider this. You share in that power, in that authority. You share in that because you are in Christ Jesus. So, in many ways, to put on the helmet of salvation is for you to contemplate, to appropriate your identity in Christ Jesus the Lord. He's the one that's given you the power of deliverance from the supernatural enemies based on his resurrection and exaltation. When you came to faith in a saving relationship with the Lord God through the Lord Jesus, again, all of your sins were forgiven. Praise God. That's a wonderful thing. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I know that's a massive principle to consider as a gift from God himself. But understand something. God is the gospel. 
Are y'all listening? And not only do you get forgiveness of sin, but the good news of the gospel is not only what God has done for you and what he does in you, but the fact that Jesus Christ is given to you. He's your Lord. So God in Christ is what we receive in salvation. So Paul is not telling us to put on the helmet in the sense of a technique of reciting some kind of mantra back to yourself to protect you in the warfare battle. He's telling us to put on the fullness of Christ himself. He's been given to you. He is your salvation. So how do you utilize this helmet of salvation? How do you utilize it in a way to protect yourself? Well, you got to think deeply. You, you must think clearly about what salvation is. I think this ought to be obvious, right? If we're to put on a helmet of salvation, don't we need to think about what salvation is? And there is a tendency for you to think at this point, well, preacher, I know all about salvation. I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. Let's just get on with it. And I'd like for you to give me some kind of cool technique this day to keep the enemy off my back and especially off my head. Right? But it will not come. That understanding will not come apart from you being rooted and grounded in God's saving work in Christ Jesus in you and for you and to you. Please don't dismiss this simply by saying, well... There's a certain group of people that believe this is the way salvation works. And there's a certain group of people who believe this is the way salvation works. And it's really unimportant as long as I think that my sins are forgiven. That's not a good helmet to put on. You need to think deeply about this. If this is going to keep you from getting a headshot from the enemy, then you really need to understand what salvation is. The broad sword, most scholars believe that the helmet was designed first and foremost to stop this broad sword, which is about four foot long. You had to hold it with two hands to even pick it up. But when that thing came across the top of your head, Katie, bar the door if you don't have a helmet on, right? Or just an axe. So that headshot is a serious thing. And you need to think clearly about salvation and don't dismiss this. So I would submit to you uh, that this is no way to enter the battle if you just pass it off and say, well, I prayed the prayer back 25 years ago. I'm good. My sins are forgiven. I'm on, on my way to heaven. You need to think because the battle we are engaged in is primarily a battle of the mind because the mind is the gateway to your will and your affections. So it's important. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Right? Don't stop there. Be not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... There you are. The only way you're ever going to be transformed is the renewing of your mind. Right here in Ephesians, he tells us in Ephesians 4.24, be renewed in the spirit of our minds. In 2 Corinthians 10, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, to do warfare, he says, take every thought, captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Mental faculties, 
thinking correctly, bringing thoughts under captivity to the obedience of Christ. So right thinking about salvation is vital for the proper perspective on life and for what God has done. It's also a motivation. Why should we fight? We need strength. We need confidence in the battle. So many Christians come to their thinking on the subject of salvation in minimalistic terms. And I think there's a reason for that because we think minimalistically about the gospel. And therefore we think minimalistically about salvation. And let's take it one step forward. We think minimalistically about God. And therefore we miss the gospel and salvation. So let's don't do that. Please don't reduce your understanding of salvation as a few amenities that God gives you so that you don't have to go to hell. Start to think in grand, glorious terms about God and His salvation because we have a mighty God. Let's think about salvation first today. And I'll finish this on a Sunday night or I may finish it next Sunday morning. Okay? One or the other. And there are really two ways I want you to think about this. First, I want you to think about salvation as accomplished and applied. Okay? And the second, we're going to talk about salvation in the terms of past, present, and future. But today, I, I knew I couldn't get all that in. Okay? But I do want to talk about salvation accomplished and applied. So when you first think about salvation, I want you to think not about your own testimony, but I want you to think about the objective reality of what Christ was doing and what he did on the cross outside of you. Because unless you haven't figured this out, you were not there at that time. He was doing something. Now, I'm not saying you wasn't a thought in his mind because you were way more than a thought in his mind. Because this text says you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But I am reminding you that this is something that was accomplished outside of you. You need to think first in the terms of not what God has done in you, but what God has done for you. You begin with what God has done in eternity past and in history before you ever came into existence. And the place to start is the simple biblical reality that God planned salvation. Are y'all listening? Listening, yes. Listening, yes. God planned salvation. Just in case you thought it was man's idea or your idea, I want to remind you stop in your tracks and consider that God planned salvation. It's also not as if there was an emergency contingency plan. A couple years ago, I know it was annoying to you, but Don had us and the safety team had us practice how to get out of here if there's a fire. And it was kind of chaotic. I think we'd have all burned up. But the first time, so we had to redo it. And we had that plan because we need to do this if this happens. We need to exit this way. And we had cards up and we're trying to help help our church family. So we had a contingency plan that we meet under certain circumstances. In the case of this, we do this. Folks, think about this. When we say that God planned salvation, that is not what we're talking about. 
We're not talking about a God coming up with some type of contingency plan to be met under certain circumstances that qualify as legitimate emergencies. When we say that God planned salvation, we're saying that God planned our salvation. Let's get this very upfront and personal for you to understand and think deeply about salvation. This makes all the difference in the world when you read Ephesians 3, chapter 1. And it blows my mind how people want to try their best to take the direct word of God and twist it and distort it. But here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us. That is a subject, verb, and direct object. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do y'all hear that? Don't twist it. Don't try to distract away from. Read it for what it says. He chose us. And did he do it? When did he do it? Temporal. He did it before the foundation of the world. So when we start to think about salvation, and we think about those massive principles, this makes all the difference. He didn't just plan salvation. He planned your salvation. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, so hear me. By Jesus' perfect life, perfect death, he objectively accomplished on behalf of his people redemption, propitiation, and reconciliation. And he did all of this without Philip Burden's help. He did all of this without your help. This means that on the cross, his death was an actual, real, objective, redeeming act. Now, are you thinking deeply about salvation? Anybody? I hope you're locked in and thinking. This is what he has objectively done for us. This is called salvation accomplished. Now, we're going to get to applied, but this is salvation accomplished. He paid the price to deliver us from our bondage to sin and Satan. Jesus Christ on the cross, objectively, outside of us, propitiated the wrath of God. And we don't use that word too often, propitiated, or to propitiate. But it's used multiple times in the New Testament. And it means to appease the wrath of God and the judgment of God by satisfying divine justice. We are the ones who provoked God to wrath. But Christ outside of us and without our help appeased the wrath of God. So, see the Lord Jesus suspended between heaven and earth, nailed to a rugged cross. And as it comes to the sixth hour, the Bible says that darkness covers the face of the earth. Folks, I'm almost positive it was like one of the plagues that fell on Egypt. And it was darkness. We like to say it in the south, it's a darkness that can be felt. And it was darkness on the face of the earth. In that moment, the Lord Jesus cries out with the cry of dereliction, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And what Christ does in that moment, he is propitiating the wrath of God by satisfying the divine justice of God. He provides redemption. He provides propitiation. And he provides reconciliation. And we're not talking about the way we reconcile with friends. If David and I are ticked off at one another and we reconcile, he does his part, I do my part. No, this reconciliation here is a one-way street. God is reconciling himself to man. God is the one taking the initiative to reconcile and make peace with you and me. He then will work in time and space to reconcile you into himself. But at this point outside of you, he's accomplishing all of those things. Propitiation, redemption, reconciliation outside of us. He did this objectively. He did this historically. And that is what we call salvation accomplished. Jesus cries out on the cross, It is tetelestai. It is finished. The work is complete. Redemption has been completed. Propitiation is completed. Reconciliation is completed. And here's the deal. We can't add one iota of merit to the finished work of Christ. He did it. So this brings us to salvation applied. Salvation is personally and experientially applied by the divine Holy Spirit of God. That's how it happens. So this means that Christ for us in our stead becomes a reality in us when the Spirit of God begins to take the objective truth of Scripture, the truth of the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. Holy Spirit wrought regeneration accompanied with the truth of the Word of God. The Spirit begins to take those truths, those accomplished realities, begins to work in our hearts and our lives personally in time and space and history, the day that you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to us moving powerfully, sovereignly. John 3 says the wind blows where it wills, and such is the Spirit of God. Read it for yourself, John 3. He comes to us and opens our eyes. He gives us a new heart. He goes in, takes out a heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh that is pliable. That is moldable. The Spirit of God comes with that regenerating power and the breath and life of God. Our hearts are open. God makes the call of the gospel effective so that when the gospel comes in with power, it opens our eyes. We see Christ like we've never seen Him before. And our hearts go out to Him in faith. It goes out to Him in faith. There's no other way to go. There's no other place to go except to Jesus. We see Him lovely. And beautiful. And the, and the only one that can save us from our sins. Remember last week? Repentance and forgiveness. We see the legal law, the demands of the law that we could never meet. And we turn from trying to do that law. And we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So, that's when conversion takes place. That's conversion. When all those things come together, that's salvation Applied. So, this experience when God the Holy Spirit comes to us with power. And we now see Him. We now have faith. And our hearts long to follow Christ. 
Our God does this all by grace alone. God does it by grace alone. The moment we believe, the moment we realize that Christ is everything to us, is the moment of faith. God comes to us. He justifies us by imputing the imperfect righteousness of Christ to us. He comes and delivers us from the dominion of sin. And you'll no longer be comfortable with what you used to be. Real salvation creates in you what's called definitive sanctification. In other words, when your eyes are open and your heart is quickened and you put your faith in Christ and you, you are moved to believe and trust in Christ and he comes into your life, you're not the same. You cannot remain the same. There's been a definitive break. Here's what the scripture says. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. You will have a longing for what you ought to be. He adopts us into his family. Makes you a joint heir with Christ. Isn't that audacious language? (laughs) Did you know the one that you're a joint heir with is the king of glory? Just stop and think about this. Join heirs with Christ. And yet that is exactly what God does for us. The moment that you believe... You are in vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. The spirit of God comes in you permanently to indwell you. And there begins this hourly, let's say this minutely, is that a word? This minutely process where God is conforming you into his image. You're a new person. You are a different kind of people. And if you're new and different, you can join me and say... That I'm not what I want to be. I am not what I ought to be. But bless God, I am not what I used to be. And when you get saved and you trust Christ, that's salvation applied in your life. But there's more. There's more to it. It's not like that God takes you. You remember teaching your kid how to ride a bike? I remember with all of my kids, with Timothy and Elena and Merritt and Nathan, you, maybe the training wheels are off and you set them up and they're three or four and five and you put them up on that bike and they start out through there and they're a little bit wobbly and they just hit the dust and it's not like God says, well, I set you up straight, I put you on your bike, since you're off your way, there goes another one down. They thought they were going to make it, but there goes another one down. She looked good starting off, but she didn't make it. Folks, that's not the way our God works. The application in salvation is not just what God has done for us and not what simply what God is doing for us. But when grace comes to us, it preserves us in our faith. It preserves us in our good works. And it will bring you safely home. It will bring you safely home. Everyone who truly knows God through the Lord Jesus Christ will be able to say with utmost confidence, when I've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. I will know less days to sing God's praise than when I first begun. You won't be able to sing that about other people. You'll say that about, you'll sing that about you and who you are in Christ. This is the accomplishment of redemption applied to your life. And understand it is by grace alone. We need to understand that what God has done outside of us, he's done for us. And then through the real working of the Spirit, He works in 
us. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes this process and the progress seem small and slow, and we begin to wonder, and we begin to doubt. However, God is good. God is good at what he does. Are y'all listening? Our God has no failed projects. So no matter what situation you're in today, if you know that accomplished salvation has been applied to your life, then I've got news for you. God has no failed projects. He that begins a good work in you will complete it. That's the promise of our God. So everyone he starts, he finishes firm until the end. Now let me give you one verse and we're going to wrap it up. This is a good one, so look it up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Isn't it interesting that Paul is using the armor? He's telling you that breastplate is the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love form the breastplate that protects the heart. And that's what he's reminding us of. But check this one out. And for a helmet... The hope of salvation. For the helmet, the hope of salvation. A hope, of, the, hope is the helmet that protects the head. John Calvin said, the head is protected by the best helmet when it is buoyed up by hope to look toward heaven and the salvation that is promised us. Here's what he finishes with. It is only through hope that salvation is a helmet. I hope you realize that. Saying hope, no pun intended. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation in the very promise of God. It's what sustains you, ladies and gentlemen. Please hear this. It's only through hope that your salvation is a helmet. Faith reflects confidence. Love declares loyalty from God. But hope provides security. Believe what God says, certainly by faith. Do what God requires out of love for him. But trust in what God's promises are and what's been given to you. Why? Because of hope. God's people are to put on the hope they have in Christ Jesus. In order to resist the devil, we must be assured of our salvation. Past. Present, future, and the promise of God. Hear it again. To resist the devil, we must be assured of salvation. Go to God daily and be reminded of the great object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Our hope is in Christ. As we often sing at this church, he is our hope and life in death. If you trust in him, then don't listen to the devil's lies. Remind him that Is this enough? You were chosen in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. You've been made alive 
in Christ as salvation was applied. You've been redeemed and forgiven and reconciled and raised with Christ and seated with Christ. Put your helmet on and do not let the enemy get into your head. Praise God for salvation accomplished and applied. Perhaps you're here today and you see clearly, yes, salvation was accomplished. Debt was paid. Propitiation made. Redemption paid. Uh, adoption accomplished when you believed. Maybe today you would say, I'm lost. And I know the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God in my heart. And I need a whole soul commitment and faith to believe Christ. Then believe Him today. Repent and believe. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And for Christians, we need to think. We need to think. We need to strap on the helmet of salvation. But you need to understand what salvation is. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, just, just reminded when you have a difficulty like your voice that, Lord, it's not about us. It's about the truth of your word. May we never think that it's the man who's proclaiming it that's all important. It's what's in the Bible. It's the truth of your word. And you've chosen through the foolishness of preaching to use the word of God to change hearts. And we stand in awe, Lord, that you alone are worthy. Father, would you take the word that's been preached, your holy word, which is the only thing that can affect change in people, through your Holy Spirit and the word. Lord, would you let it accomplish its purposes today. Lord God, help us to think deeply. Help us to have lofty biblical thoughts about the glorious salvation that you've given us. Lord, it's the hope. Your word tells us that we've, begot, we've been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That hope is what sustains us, not only thinking of the past, the present, but Lord, the future, that you have prepared a place for us, that you're going to take us to be with you, Lord, we thank you for the truth, the promises of your word. And Lord, we need the hope of salvation as a helmet. As we maneuver and live in this Christian life against the enemy who is coming against us. To give a headshot, to mess up our thinking. And to give us despondency and guilt and depression. We need to think clearly and have hope in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. and sing. The pastor's challenged us to think. This song will help us do that. When I think about the cross, when I survey the cross, let's sing it together. When I survey the
Thank you, Brother David. Paul and Jillian, step up here. I joke with them about all 24 of them. <laughs> and it's pretty close. So Paul and Jillian and Esperanza and Gabrielle. And then I told the boys I know them by their height, right? So I, I figured it out with name. Noah, Thaddeus, Silas, and Timothy. Do we have any biblical names left? All right. <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you about them. So Paul uh, is coming by profession of faith, and he's following believer's baptism. He'll come by transfer of letter from his sister, Southern Baptist Church. Jillian is coming by profession of faith, but she wants to follow in believer's baptism. Just like a lot of us, we grew up, and I always say it this way, you want to make sure your baptism's on the right side of your salvation. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is that public declaration. And so Jillian feels like she trusted Christ after she was baptized as a kid. And so we'll, we will baptize her. All right? And uh, Esperanza and Gabrielle, they both trusted Christ and followed in believer's baptism. And the boys, we're praying that the Lord God's going to save them in the future. Amen? All right. God is good. So they stand before you today as the newest members of First Baptist Church, having completed our new members class. So to God be the glory. Amen? All right. Y'all stay here. This is Brian and Karen Rollman, and uh, Brian and Karen have been visiting for quite some time as well, and uh, they come before us today, both wanting to join FBCO. They've completed new members class, and they're joining by statement of faith. They've trusted Christ. They've fallen believers' baptism. Amen? So Brian and Karen, God is good. Amen? Praise the Lord. So I have all of you go back there toward Don, and we'll shake your hand out toward the commons, okay? God bless you. Glad to have you all. Tonight, we've got the privilege of, of uh, having B.J. Armstrong preach for us. So you don't have to hear my old raspy voice tonight. B.J.'s become a dear friend of mine. He's been a blessing to our church. A lot of you guys and gals have taken a class or two here at the church that he's taught. He's pastored for over 30 years. For, uh, almost my age. No, I'm kidding. Uh, BJ pastor for 40 years, and the Lord providentially brought him to our church. He's been a huge blessing to me. So he's going to bring the word tonight. So I hope you'll come back. All right? Brother David?
Hey, let's remember to pray for a Jewel. Jewel, are you back there, Rogers? Uh, yeah. Uh, Jewel's going to go see her son who's not doing well in Cleveland. And uh, let's, let's pray for her trip tomorrow. Uh, and Pam's going to accompany her. I have one more. I, uh, Miss Virginia Morrow went to be with the Lord this week as well. Uh, Miss Virginia was just a little short of being 102 years old. So pray for Miss Carol. That funeral will be Friday. Uh, visitation at 10. Funeral service here at the church at 11. So that was Miss Virginia Morrow. So pray for her family, okay? And thanks for all the prayers for our church family. Uh, patriarch like Mr. Jack going to be with the Lord and, and others and David's mom. and uh, we, uh, we, We've been hit here recently with a lot of death. And, but you know what? Close your eyes in death if you're a believer means that you're going to finish out the hope that we're preaching about. Amen. Amen. So to God be the glory.